Those of you who don't know me, my name is Jim. I'm married to Kate, and Kate and I um, oversee the, children, the youth work here at church, and I'm one of the elders on the team here. We're going to continue our exciting uh, series in Romans. Hope you felt blessed over the last few weeks, really digging into the book of Romans. There's so much good stuff uh, to get our teeth into. Whether you're a Christian here, whether you're still on a journey with Jesus, there's so much good stuff to listen to uh, and to kind of tussle with. And this morning, uh, the talk is called United We Stand. Um, Before we make a start on that, um, you might want to be just be flicking to the book of Romans, chapter 6 in your Bibles. Um, I've just felt challenged just to continue to encourage people about getting into the Word of God. And um, I mean, I'm a reader, I love to read, so I love um, kind of reading the Bible as a physical book. But others of you might have other ways that you love to kind of absorb stuff. So some of you might have a Bible app on your phone, so if if you're not, you know, super keen on the, the printed word, then get, get an app downloaded. There are reading plans on uh, so many Bible apps nowadays. So I do just encourage you, get into the word of God because it will do you good. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It is useful in all seasons. Um, so you might also um, enjoy following things on Instagram. And um, this is our youth uh, Bible study that we have at the moment. So if those of you who kind of um, maybe find studying the Bible hard, each morning I put a little post on our youth Instagram. Um, it's a closed group, so if you fancy following it, um, HCW Youth Bible, um, we kind of put a little bit of a thought um, each day, and uh, our young people kind of read that and follow that. So that might be something you want to do. Um, now, I'm not a salesman for Fillmore, but every time I come up and, and speak, I do want to encourage you that Fillmore is an amazing um, Bible scholar, but he writes these really, really accessible commentaries, um, a series called Straight to the Heart. They're really short, two-page kind of chapters, um, and he always hangs the part of the Bible passage on an illustration, and Fillmore has blessed me um, so much in understanding what the Word of God means. So I encourage you, if you enjoy reading, if you enjoy studying the Bible, get hold of his commentary on Romans. Um, it's fantastic and it will do you good. Right, I'm going to pray and then we're going to dig into the Word of God together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege of being called your people. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of knowing Christ. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you sent your Son to die on our behalf, for opening a new and a living way up for us to come freely into your presence. Lord, we want to thank you that this morning we can learn from you because your Holy Spirit is here, present with us. Lord, would you open our eyes? Would you unstop our ears? Would you soften our hearts to the word of God this morning that wherever we are in our journey with you, Lord, you would come and change and transform us more and more into the likeness of Christ. Lord, we give this morning to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, my question to you this morning is where do you stand this morning? Where do you stand with Christ? The Bible says before you were a Christian, or if you are not a Christian, then actually we are dead in our sins. We are dead in our sins. What is sin? I thought it might be worth just quickly unpacking that. Well, sin is anything that doesn't conform to the moral character of God or the law of God. Or more simply, we sin by thinking evil, speaking evil, acting evil, not doing the good that we should. When we do something that goes against trust and faith in God, then that is sin. But when we know that something pleases God, but we don't do it, then that is also sin. Now in the Bible, 
there are lots of pictures of what sin looks like. And before we open this passage today, I thought it was really useful to think about what does sin look like. Well, one way of looking at sin is that when we rebelled against God, that cut us off from relationship with God. So if you imagine kind of this picture, there's a gap between God and man that is broken because of sin. And the things that we do can't ever close that gap. So it could be good works, it could be going to church, it could be caring for the poor, it could be trying to live clean, it could be even getting baptised. But those things are not going to close that gap between God and man. And the only way that God could span that gap was by sending his own son in our place to die on our behalf and to restore that broken relationship with God that was caused by sin. So that's one way of looking at sin. Another way of looking at sin is that sin is like a master and it rules over us. So when we were dead in our sins, actually the Bible says that we were, if you're a Christian here, you were a slave to sin. And in this passage that we're going to look at in a minute, it talks about the fact that we're ruled by sin or enslaved by sin. And Jesus actually said himself that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And in Ephesians, it says, once we were also ruled by the selfish desires of our bodies and minds, we had made God angry and we were going to be punished like everyone else. Another way of looking at sin is that actually we were spiritually dead. We were spiritually dead. So although we had a heartbeat, although we were walking around and we were alive, actually in our sins, there was something in, about our life that we were dead, kind of almost like dead to God. And the Bible says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that we've been saved. So God has done something amazing. If you are a Christian here this morning, God has done something amazing. He has made you alive in Christ. You were once dead, but he has made you alive. Now, those of you who've heard me speak before know that I quite like to put the pictures of some of the great theologians that I quote up on my PowerPoint. Um, and this morning, I've, I've got um, a great theologian who probably will need no introduction, um, the man Kanye West. Um, and for those of you um, who kind of follow him, you'll know that Kanye West, Peter Smith shaking his head, Peter, can't believe it. Um, Kanye West um, has very notably kind of come back to faith, um, is very vocal about um, what God did in his life. And actually, I've been super encouraged by hearing his story. Sometimes you hear these celebrity kind of um, conversions and you think, mm, really, are you, are you really do? But actually, I feel there's our youth group feel as well, having watched a clip of him, that there's no doubt that really he's come back to real faith and trust in God. So I thought I'd bless you by um, just playing you a quick clip of Kanye being interviewed by um, James Corden, where he talks very clearly about being once dead and then being made alive. The living word, let him the way. restore your soul Trust his word. 
what do you say to people who would say, and there will be people that will say, I don't believe it. I don't believe the reawakening of that Kanye is saying he's having. I don't believe if I look at the last two, three, four, five years of his life, I don't believe that this can be as uh, night and day as it is. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's that, you, that you would be one day living your life in one way and now saying everything is for this. I'm not sure I believe it. What would you say to those people? Well, I'd say when you go to sleep, would you agree that you are asleep when you are asleep? And when you wake up, would you agree that you are awake when you are awake? Yeah. Would you agree that those are two different states? People who don't believe are walking dead. They are asleep. And this is the awakening. So Kanye West, kind of he's on his own plane there, being interviewed by James Corden, but very clear that he was, he was dead, and then Christ made him alive. Hallelujah. So... Let's dig into our passage together. That's the good news today, actually, that we can be alive in Christ. So let's turn to the passage. Um, So, reading from Romans 6. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? I'm just going to stop there. This passage comes in Paul's writing um, where he's just talked about being justified by faith. And justification, as Jonathan really clearly said, was it was just as if I'd not sinned. It's like a legal term to mean that you have been declared not guilty, declared innocent from something. Because Jesus died in our place. So we're now no longer under judgment, but we're under grace. What is grace? Well, judgment is being given what you rightly deserve. Forgiveness is being let off what you deserve, but grace is getting what you don't deserve, the unmerited grace, the unmerited love, the unmerited favor of God. We deserve nothing, yet Christ died for us at the cross, and we now stand in the grace of God. There's an acronym that I often find helpful. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. So God is now, if you are a Christian, not looking on you in judgment, in anger, in disapproval, but in love, affection, and delight. And actually, if you're not a Christian here today, actually, God is wanting for you to know that grace and that love as well. Hold on, though. If we're forgiven for all our sins, past, present, and future, doesn't that mean that actually, as Christians, we can kind of go on as we want? Like, kind of living how we'd like to, but occasionally saying sorry to God. In fact, actually, if God's a forgiving God, maybe if we carry on sinning more, then that gives God more chance to forgive us, and actually gives God more of a chance to show his great love. Well, that's kind of the argument that Paul is going to start to address here. So he says this, where sin, just before this passage, he says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So it seems like the more you sin, the more of God's grace there is. So he says, what should we say? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Well, as we know, verse 2, he goes on to say, hold on, hold on a minute, or whoa, absolutely not. Absolutely not. How can we, who died to sin, still live in it? So, I've got three points this morning as we look in this passage. Firstly, we're going to look at 
we need to know who we are in Christ. Secondly, we're going to look at that we need to count ourselves dead to sin and be alive to Christ. And thirdly, we need to offer ourselves to God. So, know who you are in Christ. Let's read this passage together. Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now, Paul uses the picture of baptism in this passage. And actually, we've got a baptism service. I've got it written on my hand here on the 1st of December. So very, very soon. So if, if, if you're listening this morning and you haven't been baptized or you feel God kind of prompting you, This is a great opportunity, and we're going to look at baptism in a minute, but actually it's a fantastic thing to do. Also, if you have been baptized, do come along, because actually last time I was super encouraged by hearing what God has done in the lives of others. So come and be part of it. It's a nice short, wrap it up in about an hour, but actually being together to see people who are talking about what God's done for them is super encouraging. So what happens when you become a Christian? Well, here is one of our youth group. Um, sharing his testimony, talking about what his life was like and how he got to know Jesus. He is now in Christ. He's given his life to Christ. He is now in Christ. That means that he has everything he has to live the Christian life. And Paul uses the picture of water baptism to talk about this. So when the passage says, we died with Christ... The going under the water symbolizes that death of our old life. And we can often say that we're familiar with the idea that Christ died for our sins in our place. But the passage here is also showing that actually Christ, when we become Christians, Christ kind of, we die with Christ. We're baptized into his death. Spiritually, our old life is dead. He not only died for us, but he died as us. Full immersion in the water is a little bit like being buried down, isn't it? Our old life has died, and our life with Christ is new. We've been united with him in the likeness of his death, the passage says. Our old self was crucified with him. We are now freed from the sin. Sin has no power over us anymore. I was thinking about a picture. I was talking to Rob about this passage, and he was reminded me of the idea that if, if you're someone who's maybe struggling with alcohol addiction or drug addiction, if, if that person dies, that addiction actually has no hold anymore over that person because they've, they've actually died. And it's almost like that picture that sin was our master, sin was controlling us, but actually the old life has died, and that power of sin no longer has hold over us. 
in baptism. You'll be glad to hear we don't hold people down under the water forever, but actually we let them come up again. And here's another member of our youth group uh, coming up from the waters of baptism. We've been raised again. So we've died to one life, rising to another. We died to a life of sin and we rose to a life of grace. Just as we come up from the waters of baptism, our new life with Jesus Christ has become. We're united with him in his resurrection. The Bible echoes this elsewhere. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And one of my favorite scriptures, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. So actually as Christians, we're not kind of the same sad old creatures with a little bit of God tacked onto the side. Actually, we are brand new creations alive with Christ. So my challenge to us this morning is, have we really grasped this? Have we really grasped who we are in Christ? Because if we have, it will change the way that we live. Let's go on to my second point. Counting ourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ. Paul carries on by saying this. So, you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's as if Paul is saying, well, you don't act dead towards sin, or you don't feel dead towards sin, or you don't look dead towards sin. Actually, if God says the truth about you, then that's the truth of who you are. You are dead to sin. The secret to holy living is actually in the mind. It's renewing our minds. It's reflecting on who we are in Christ, considering ourselves dead to sin but alive to Christ. In his conferences, one of the famous Christian speakers, Neil Anderson, will often ask people right, who, in the auditorium, right, who here has died with Christ? And often almost all the hands go up. And then he asks, well, how many are free from sin? adding, it better be the same hands, because it clearly states in Romans 6, 7, anyone who has died has been freed from sin. All Christians have died with Christ, so all Christians have been freed from sin. If they don't believe they're free from sin, then probably they won't live like that. We, li- we act according to our beliefs, and the central issue is always our identity. So we need to remember who we are. Does that mean that we will never struggle with sin? Does that mean we will never trip up? Well, no, not at all, by no means. We always struggle with the world, so the temptation from the world around us, the flesh, the weakness of our own character, and the devil. As Christians, you instantly have an enemy who is out to seek and take you down and neutralize you. And we will always have that kind of battle. When you become a Christian, I see it a little bit like um, if you had a... um, If you had a, where's my slide, sorry. Ah, there we go. If you had a country that was um, kind of liberated by kind of, by allied troops, um, often there are still pockets of insurgents that are still trying to kick off and trying to take back ground. And it's a little bit like if you've become a Christian, your life has been made new, but actually there's, there's still pockets of resistance. It'll never over... He that's in us is greater than he that is in the world. So we will never kind of, you know, be, be taken over again. But there's always that kind of resistance that goes on. 
But although we've been freed from the power of sin, actually we can still choose to sin, can't we, as Christians? And the Bible says this, but each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Now there's good advice in the Bible for when we do sin. There are lots of great verses that talk about what to do when that happens. And here's one. In James it says, if we confess our sins, so if we talk to God, or if we share with one another and and pray together, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's kind of corrective theology, isn't it? If you do something wrong, this is what you can do, or this is what God will do to correct that and restore that. And that's fantastic. But also, Paul here is talking about, well, when we reflect on our identity in Christ, when we meditate on the fact that we are new creations, actually, that's even better because it's almost preventative theology. That should curb our desire to sin because we realize who we now are. And this reflecting, or this counting, is an ongoing thing, and on a daily basis, we need to continue to say, yes, this is who I am in Christ. I was old, I've been made new. I've got a new master now. Now, Satan knows our weaknesses. He loves to tempt us. He loves to say, well, why, you know, go and have, have a few drinks. That doesn't really matter. Or, you know, you can, you can look at that. Why don't you look at that? Because no one really knows. Or you might be missing out if you don't do that. But actually, he, he's keen to tempt us back to the old way of life. And we need to remind ourselves that that old way of life is now no longer how we roll as new creations. So what, what can help us remind ourselves that we are new creations? Well, I think about this picture of a, one helpful way to think about it. It's a bit like a prisoner. Now, Kate and I have been watching the series Crime and Punishment on um, Channel 4 at the moment, and it was a, it's a series following prisoners in Winchester Prison, um, looking at prisoners who are kind of banged up in their cells for 23, 23 and a half hours of the day, and it's, it's kind of really heartbreaking just to see some of these, these people who, have, um, who are doing time and are kind of trying to work out what their life is all about. But if you think about yourself as a prisoner, imagine you'd, you've reached the end of your sentence, you've been released from prison, you're allowed to walk free, but actually say, do you know what? I think I'm going to go back and sit in my cell again. Um, I'm, I'm going to go back to, to that way of life. Well, we're no longer prisoners. We don't need to be going back to those cells because what Christ has done is he's liberated us. He's freed us from the imprisonment of sin. The score is settled. The debt is paid. The judge has declared us innocent. The law is satisfied. And understanding this gives us a powerful motive to resist sin. Anyone who's been truly saved from their sins will want to live differently as a result. The old life is dead. We've been set free. We can walk in that newness of life. Another way I find it helpful is to listen to what Phil Moore says. Anyone who's truly been saved from their sins will want to live differently. More than that, they will also be empowered to follow through on their desire to live differently. Of course, we can choose to continue in our sin, but we do so out of choice and not because sin is still our master. Sin doesn't seem to have the same old joy as it did before we became Christians. In fact, actually grace, the grace of God that forgives us, the Bible says, actually motivates us to want to please Jesus rather than going, oh, I'll continue to sin because it's so great. Actually, you realize it's not so great. It doesn't lead to great things. It's destructive. It's, it's, it ruins us inside. It ruins other people. And actually, we have a new motivation that we're living for a new master. 
Terry Virgo, um, who uh, kind of headed up New Frontiers churches, um, has got this to say. In fact, actually, Terry Virgo, don't you always think he just looks a little bit like the man from up? <laughs> anyway. Anyway, Terry Virgo says this. Someone asked me, this is from Terry Virgo's blog, someone asked me, Terry, are you saying that you never sin? Sadly, in this age of conflict with the world, the flesh, and the devil, I do. But I sin as a saint with all the sadness and inappropriateness of it, not as a sinner with all the inevitability that it suggests. Sin doesn't have to rule us. So let's remember that we're a saint, not a sinner. John Stott, another Bible teacher, says this about remembering. We are to recall, to ponder, to grasp, to register these truths until they are so integral to our mindset that a return to our old life is unthinkable. Regenerate, that's as in born-again Christians, should no more contemplate a return to the unregenerate living than adults to their childhood, married people to their singleness, or discharged prisoners to their prison cell. We have died and we have risen. How can we possibly live again in what we've died to? So my challenge to you this morning is, are you in the habit of going back? So our last point, offer yourselves to God. So what Christ has done at the cross justified us. As I said, it justified us. It was a once-for-all act that has declared us innocent. But God also wants to do something called sanctification. And sanctifying is God's ongoing work, continuing to make us more holy. And a definition of to sanctify is to set apart for a special use or purpose. Isn't that exciting to know that God, if you're a Christian here, God has set you apart for a special use, a special purpose, for special plans for his glory. That's super exciting. So, theory leads to action. The devil would like us to think that what we need to do to become better Christians is to grit our teeth, try really hard, but actually God says he's already doing that in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says this, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead. Offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. Hallelujah. For sin will not rule over you because you're not under the law, but under grace. Or in some translations, says sin will not be your master. Now in this end of this passage here, there's a yes and a no from Paul. There's a positive and a negative that I feel as Christians together here, we need to listen to. So if you're a Christian here, you're encouraged to not let sin reign over you and not to offer the part, your hands, your eyes, your mouths, the parts of your body to sin. But there's also a positive, isn't there? There's an offering of ourselves to God for his purposes. We change masters. We have changed our masters. So we are now living for a new master. The way I like to see it is a little bit like this. Imagine that you've been renting a property from a landlord. And this landlord turns out to be a bit of a bully. 
He comes around at all hours of the day and night. He charges extortionate rent. Um, he, he almost threatens violence if you don't pay up. And you kind of get used to this behavior. And actually, you've kind of been so beaten down by it that just, you, you just end up accepting his terms and his conditions. You, used to, you, kind of, you get used to doing what he says out of fear. There doesn't seem to be any way out. But to your relief, you suddenly find somewhere else to live. Someone comes along and pays off your debt, the rest of your rent, and you're allowed to leave. You move out and you settle in a new place. But to your horror, a few days later, the old landlord comes knocking on your door. In fact, he barges into your house and starts demanding more money. He threatens to take you to court. The old habit returns. You're strongly tempted to do what he demands just to get him to leave. But then you realize you're not his tenant anymore. You have seen the paperwork. The final bill was paid. Nothing more is owing to that master. And so trembling, you get up and you tell him to leave. He has no claim over you. Well, it's just like with us. We are free. We have been freed from the power of sin. It's not our master. Sin holds no sway over our lives anymore. It's not try really hard, try not to break rules, but actually it's you don't need to sin. Your old nature is dead. It doesn't give you the gratification that it used to anymore. And that main weapon that we have is reminding ourselves of who we are in Christ. In Galatians it says, so if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And again, so I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Hallelujah. Can we have the, the, um, Jacob up to play a bit of keys? Just going to finish with um, a little challenge really. So Terry, Terry Virgo, he said this on his blog. It saddens me not only to see Christians failing to accept the new identity that the gospel provides, but even fighting to defend their right to be called sinners when God has called those who are in Christ Jesus saints. We have a responsibility not to let sin reign in our lives. The Bible says that's what we were. Those were the things that we were taking as our identity. But we're now we have a new nature in Christ. If you're not a Christian here, I want to challenge you. Where do you stand with God? Today, you can know Christ and you can stand firm in him. In a minute, you could have the opportunity to come and pray with someone or even just talk to God yourself during the, the end of the service here this morning. As Christians today, Jesus invites us to come to him and trust in him. And with his help, the help of his Holy Spirit, we can live out this new life. We need to allow this truth to take root in our lives Let's just stand together. You might want to just close your eyes. This morning, do we know who we are in Jesus? Are we truly alive? It might be this morning that we need to do something about that? Do we count ourselves dead to sin 
and alive to Christ? Are we prisoners or are we free? Are we saints or sinners? Are we offering ourselves to God? This morning, what do you need to say no to? What do you need to say yes to? Let's just offer ourselves before Jesus this morning.